1: The first five, because yesterday, if you were watching the broadcast, we had some kind of a weird static happening, and I went back and heard it afterwards. I couldn't hear it while we were doing it, but you guys were talking about it. I went back and listened, and I could hear it. And so I want to run through uh, quickly the first five of these, and then I'm going to give you the second five. You saw me say in the title of the broadcast, 10 Bible proofs that Jesus was not poor. You know, people say Jesus was poor. He wasn't poor. And there's proof in scripture that he was not a poor man. And people that teach he was a poor man, they don't actually know what they're teaching. They don't understand the, uh, the gravity of that situation. To say that about Jesus is to say that he was cursed. And I'll show you that uh, in scripture today. But you know, we start with uh, Hebrews chapter one. And if you have your Bible, I want you to turn there. Hebrews chapter one. This is why this message is important, by the way. This one verse in Hebrews, Hebrews one and verse three. And I want you to see this with me. Look at what the Bible says. Jesus is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. I'll stop there. He's the radiance of the glory of God. He's the exact imprint of the nature of his father. And so anything you see Jesus do on the earth, anything you see about him, it's a total representation of God the father in heaven. That's why Jesus said things like, um, I can, you know, I can say nothing unless I hear the Father say it. I can do nothing unless I see the Father do it. Jesus wasn't operating independently; he was operating in total synchronization with his Father in heaven. And so, when you see Jesus do something in the Gospels, that was God's will and it was His nature. When you see Jesus say something in the Gospels, that was God's will; it was His nature. The life of Jesus was actually a perfect. Picture of the nature of God, and so when you see what we can, you know, when you read through the four Gospels and you see what took place in Jesus' life, you should understand that was God's perfect will being represented on the earth. And so, in this uh, in this broadcast today, I'm going to show you ten things. If you've ever been taught that Jesus was poor, you know that uh, somehow he was just some pauper begging around the earth you know, and until he got to his death at the cross. And you know, it's not the case. And I'm going to show you 10 proofs in scripture today. And uh, and it's going to help you. It's going to help you. Um, I, want to, I want to go back through the ones that uh, quickly that we did yesterday in case anybody missed it. I'm not going to take the time uh, to teach on them. But um, I do want you to see them. 10 Bible things. Number one, first thing that we covered yesterday that you've got to see, Matthew chapter two and verses, you know, is basically verses seven through 11, that when Jesus was born, the wise men came to him, the Magi, and they believed he was a king and they came and we read it in the Amplified, bearing treasure bags. They were carrying treasure bags because they believed he was a king and they were bringing gifts fit for a king. And the Bible says they opened up to him their treasure bags amplified translation and gave him gold and frankincense and myrrh many bible scholars believe that the gold and all the riches that were given to him on that day uh not only funded him and his family as they escaped into egypt when herod was killing all the uh, baby boys two and younger but it was something that they had in their lives as blessing and abundance uh the the Gold that was given to those that thought he was a king, an actual king. That's why Herod was killing the babies, because he thought an actual king was coming to take his throne. And before he could do it, he was trying to kill the one who would be king. But Jesus didn't come to be a natural king, but a supernatural king. And so they escaped into Egypt. They didn't live there poor. They didn't beg. But they had been given gold and frankincense and myrrh before they ever left for Egypt. And so the Magi, and by the way, it wasn't three wise men, like you see on a nativity scene, you know, a black one, a white one, a Chinese one. That, that's not who came to see Jesus. A caravan of men, the Magi, they traveled to find Christ and it wasn't three men. It was a caravan of men who opened up to him their treasure bags. So number one, think about this. And we made this comment yesterday, those of you that are watching I want you to put it in the comments section. The anointing attracts wealth. Put it in the comments. The anointing attracts wealth. And it didn't take long at all. Literally months after Jesus was born, he became wealthy. Literally as a, not even a toddler, but as a young, young boy, you know, as less than two years old, these men came and opened up to him their treasure bags. And gave him gold and gave him frankincense and gave him myrrh. It didn't, it was months that just went by. Notice Jesus didn't have to wait till he was 30 to receive the blessing of God. He was a baby and they came and poured out wealth upon him. Why? Because the anointing attracts wealth. That's it. Put it in the comments. The anointing attracts, I'm going to deal with that. I dealt with it yesterday. Everyone always asks, what about 2 Corinthians 8 9? He didn't become poor when he came down from heaven. He became poor on the cross at the same time he became sin, and at the same time he became sickness, it's the same time he became poor. Jesus wasn't poor on the earth. I'm going to prove it to you from the Bible today with 10 Bible proofs. 2 Corinthians 8, 9 is not talking about Christ living as a pauper on the earth. It's talking about the fact that he became poor on the cross so that you could become rich. In the same way that he never sinned and was not a sinner, but he became sin, the Bible says, 2 Corinthians 5. He was not sick. We have no record in scripture of Jesus ever being sick. He wasn't sick. He healed the sick. But the sicknesses and the diseases were put upon his body and stripes were put upon his back so that by those stripes we'd be healed. And in the same way, he was not poor on the earth living as a man, he became poor On the cross became poor and so I want you to see this he is the exact radiance of the uh, glory of God and the imprint of his nature so let me show you something anything you can see that happens to Jesus is the will of God revealed it is the nature of God revealed if God was into keeping people poor to make to make them you know uh, more dependent upon him to trust more fully in him then any wealth, any abundance would be evil. Think about it from a logical standpoint. If God used poverty and if he used lack to keep people dependent upon him, to make them love him more or seek him more, then anything that was more than enough, anything where you had an excess, anything where you had blessing and all your needs met would be evil because it would keep you from depending on God. It would keep you from depending on his power and loving him more. But you can see all through scripture, one of the ways God rewarded his holy men was by blessing them financially. Look through the whole Old Testament. Abraham, for obeying God, became very rich. Isaac, so rich, so rich, that the king of his nation, where he lived, came and asked him to please move away because you've become too mighty for us. Jacob, very wealthy. David became a multi-billionaire. Think about that. He gave an offering of over a billion dollars. Did you ever think about that? David gave an offering of over six billion dollars to build the temple. Poor people can't do that. No, no, you need, to, you need to listen to the broadcast today because you're, you're totally missing it. I'll give you 10 proofs from Scripture if you're humble enough to stay on the broadcast and listen. Borrowed bread and fish, rode on a borrowed donkey. He was fulfilling prophecy. <laughs> borrowed boats. Let me, let me just stay on the broadcast. And, and, and if you're humble enough to do that, you'll see 10 Bible proofs that he couldn't have been poor. The first one is they brought him bags of gold and frankincense of myrrh at his just after his birth as a young man. And so number one, as a young as a young boy, his anointing attracted the wealth and the blessing of God. And it started his life that way. and it provided for his whole family. it was excess. It was excess for his family to live for two years in another nation before they came back to where they lived. And he was blessed. Number two, the second thing we covered yesterday, the the second proof that he was not poor, is found in the Gospel of Luke, chapter eight, and this is one of the biggest proofs in the scripture you could ever see. If If you ever believed Jesus was poor, here's one passage of scripture that would have to make you rethink your entire stance on what you believe about Jesus. Luke chapter eight, Verses 1 through 3. Listen to this. Soon afterward, Jesus went on through the cities and villages, proclaiming and bringing the good news of the kingdom of God. And the 12 were with him. Now look at verse 2. And also some women who had been healed of evil spirits and infirmities. Mary called Magdalene, from whom seven demons had gone out, and Joanna, the wife of Chusa, Herod's household manager, and Susanna, and many Others, listen to this, and many others who provided for them out of their means. Wealthy, influential people. That's what the Bible says. Wealthy, influential people. What were they doing? They were providing. It's interesting, isn't it? These were, these were not just, um, you know, these were definitely not paupers, as you can see. These were influential, wealthy people that traveled with Jesus and provided for him. They didn't just give to his ministry. They, they loved his ministry so much, they decided to travel with him and provide for him and the 12 disciples on an ongoing basis. And they had more than enough. In fact, you'll never find a place in scripture where they had run out or they, they, don't, they didn't have enough. Or they were getting ready to do a meeting and say, man, we had money in here. I don't know what happened to the money. We used to have money. Where'd the money go? No. They had people that were constantly supporting Jesus in the ministry by sowing into it. So much so, think about this, and we'll cover it in a minute. So much so, might as well just go to it. So much so that Jesus had to employ a treasurer, Judas. The Bible tells us that. Judas was in charge of the money bag. Well, listen, you don't need a money bag if you're a pauper. You don't have excess money to carry around. Not only to carry around excess money so that the Bible says Judas, if you go to John chapter 12 and verse six, John chapter 12, go there with me. John chapter 12 and verse six, listen to this. That's not true. you, you I don't know how you can believe that. Just stick on the broadcast. John 12, 6. G- G- Let me read you the, the, the context. <clears throat> Mary took therefore a pound of expensive ointment made from pure nard, nor the feet of Jesus, wiped the feet with her hair. By the way, this was worth over a year's wages, which is why Judas got mad because he was stealing. <clears throat> the Bible says, happens at this time every day, 1057. Um, Why was this ointment not sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor? He said this not because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief and having charge of the money bag, used it to help himself to what was put into it. Notice this. And that means, because here's the key, these people were giving to Jesus so much so that Judas had to be the one who was the treasurer of the ministry, carried the excess money and was able to steal from it regularly, and nobody noticed. Nobody noticed. They never went without. Judas was constantly embezzling. Think about that. (coughs) Every day at this time. (coughs) Thank you, Greg. (coughs) Thank you, (coughs) Candace. Thank you, Morgan. I don't know what it is every day at this time. Not only that, Judas was stealing regularly from the treasury and nobody noticed. Poor people. Let me tell you, if money was taken out of your account, you would notice immediately Immediately. I'm not talking about the Virgin Mary. I'm talking about Jesus. I didn't say Jesus was rich because of Mary. He was blessed. Judas stole from him regularly. Now, I I made this point yesterday, and it's important to make this, this point. Do you think Jesus didn't know do you honestly think Jesus didn't know that Judas was stealing? He knew. He, of course he did. You, you, you know that Jesus operated in the word of knowledge, the word of wisdom, the gift of prophecy, working of miracles, gifts of healings, discerning of spirits. The only gifts of the spirit that Jesus did not operate in were tongues and interpretation of tongues. But seven out of the nine he operated in. And you think he had all that knowledge saw Nathaniel under the tree, knew all those things, <clears throat> and didn't know Judas was stealing from his money bag? Of course he knew. But I personally believe it was his way of saying, the devil can try to steal from me if he wants to. It will never. Yes, it is. It is important to say that. The question, again, because apparently somebody didn't um, log on at the beginning of the broadcast, read Hebrews 1.3 because God doesn't want his people in poverty. God does not want his people in lack. God does not want his people to struggle. He wants his people to be blessed, so much so that he sent his son to the earth and made him a picture of blessing as he went through the earth, just so that you could see his desire is not that his people be poor, but that his people be blessed, have an abundance, have more than enough. He did it from the time Jesus was young and then he attached influential people to Jesus, had them travel with him, had them sow into his ministry so that he had so much overflow that his treasurer could regularly embezzle from his ministry and it never affected their, their cause, never affected whether they were able to do what they were called to do, never stopped them from traveling, never stopped them from eating, never stopped them from saying, staying anywhere. He provided for everybody that was with him, and it never stopped them from doing anything, although he was regularly stolen from. That's abundance. When someone can regularly steal from you, and you don't even notice, and it doesn't affect what you're doing, <laughs> then you better understand you've got some excess. You've got some excess. Now, he was. He absolutely was, Susuko Realty. Stick to realty and let me do the Bible teaching because you have no proof, but I'm giving you 10 proofs in the Bible right now that Jesus did have an abundance, an abundance. Just because somebody has been taught uh, wrongly for so many, so many years and has swallowed it hook, line and sinker with no uh, actual Bible proof doesn't mean they're right. And that's why I'm giving people proof today because people need to hear this and people need to understand it's the truth. And the Bible proves it to be be true uh, by all the things that I'm giving you today. Look at number four. We covered this yesterday. When Jesus went to the cross, he wore a seamless garment that was obviously custom made for him. And it was such a costly garment that instead of doing what crucifixion called for by custom, which was to tear up the clothes of the people who were being crucified, not just to fulfill prophecy because the Roman soldiers would not have read Jewish prophecy. They would not have read Messianic prophecy. Those Roman soldiers were not you know, Jews. They were not raised in Judaism. They did not read the law, the prophets, and the writings. They would not have known Messianic prophecy. But they did it, and it fulfilled Messianic prophecy, but they also did it because... They wanted Jesus' garment, not because they thought of him as a celebrity. I I talked about that yesterday because people say, well, not because it was a a, a nice garment or costly, but because he was more of a celebrity. No, it wasn't like saying, I know those were Michael Jordan shoes that he played 500 games in, and they're all busted, but I want them because they're Michael Jordan shoes. No, that's not true. They wouldn't have thought of him as a celebrity. Neither the Jews would have thought of him, of, of him that way, nor would the Romans. The Romans didn't know even what their problem was. You know what? 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 They kept asking, "What wrong has this man done before his crucifixion? What? What thing wrong has he done?" Yes, I just said that. They gambled for his clothing. What? They used to ask, "What? <clears throat> what wrong has he done? What do you? Why do you have such an issue with this man?" So, the Romans didn't even really know who he was. The Jews didn't think of him as a celebrity. If anything, he was infamous, not famous. They hated him. They tried to kill him multiple times before the cross, tried to murder him with stones, tried to push him off of a cliff, couldn't kill him. So it's not like he was walking around as some celebrity and they wanted his garment because he was a celebrity. They wanted it because it was nice. That's why they wanted it. That's why they didn't tear it up. And that's why they gambled to have it for themselves. If you study scripture. And that did fulfill Bible prophecy, but it also was happening because the Roman soldiers wanted what he had. I've never seen a pauper, if is Realty or whatever is still on the broadcast. I've never seen a poor person in any city, a homeless person, a pauper, and then looked at them and said, man, I really want that shirt. I really want those shoes they're wearing. No, they're almost always got old, you know, tore up clothes on, dirty stuff sleeping on a cardboard box outside in the the elements. Nobody walks by on Fifth Avenue and says, man, I really want those shoes that guy's wearing. No, they coveted it. They wanted it because it was nice. Not because he was a pauper, because it was nice. Not because he was a celebrity. He was not a celebrity, because it was nice. It was expensive. It was costly. I dealt with what seamless means yesterday. If it was seamless, it's got to be made for you. Seams are where tailoring is done. Anything that you buy off the rack is tailored at the seams. If you buy a shirt, they tailor it at the seams. You buy a suit, they tailor it at the seams. Because even though it was your size, it doesn't fit you exactly. Anything seamless has to be made just for you. And so Jesus went to the cross wearing a garment that was so costly that the soldiers wanted it. And so they gambled for it. No pauper does that. Number five, Jesus had the ability to provide for the 12 disciples that traveled with him throughout his ministry, as well as the others. So he had enough, remember this, he had enough money, he had enough resources so that he could provide not just for himself, but for a staff of 12 men for a period of three and one-third years. Think about that. Was able to provide for himself as well as 12 men for three, there's no pauper. I've never seen any pauper that can employ a staff of 12, take them places, feed them all, house them all. I've never seen any pauper that can do that. No poor person can care for 12 other people for three years. There's just It's just impossible. And they had the resources coming in. They had more than enough. The money bag was full. Judas was stealing constantly. And listen, as he was stealing, nobody was noticing. It was still more than enough to do everything they needed to do. And so without question, the anointing attracts increase and overflow. And Jesus operated in increase and in overflow. (laughs) And so you understand that there was no way there was no way even logically Jesus could have been poor and done the things that he did. He couldn't have done them. No pauper can do that. And Jesus did it. For three years, he took care of those 12 men who had businesses in the past and were workers. Peter, we know, had a fishing business with people working for him. Not only were people working for him, he had boats along the sea. And not only that, he had a house that was big enough to house himself, uh The disciples went to stay with him, Jesus, and his mother-in-law. So Peter wasn't some pauper either. Peter was blessed. And Peter gave that up for three years and came and stayed with Christ as a disciple. You understand? So you understand Jesus took care of these people for three years with no issue. It's number five. So now we're going to get into today. Because I covered those five yesterday. So Brittany's right right on time. So I'm giving you all 10 because I don't want that static to mess anybody up from yesterday. So Jesus received an abundance of wealth at an early age. That's number one. Jesus had financial partnership with influential businesswomen. That's number two. Jesus employed a treasurer who embezzled regularly and still had more than enough. That's number three. Jesus wore a seamless custom-made garment that the Roman soldiers gambled for. That's number four. Jesus had the ability to provide for a staff of 12. That's number five. Now, let's get into number six, because his mindset shows you what he thought about provision and wealth. Mark chapter 14 and verse five, uh, this is something I want you to see. This is number six. Jesus was not put off by large gifts that were given to him. Listen to this. Mark chapter 14 and verse, I'm going to read three through five. And while he was in Bethany in the house of Simon the leper, as he was reclining at a table, a woman came with an alabaster flask of ointment of pure nard and very costly. And she broke the flask and poured it over his head. And there were some who said to themselves indignantly, why was the ointment wasted like that? For the ointment could have been sold for more than 300 denarii and given to the poor. And they scolded her. But Jesus said, leave her alone. Why do you trouble? Why do you trouble her? She's done a beautiful thing to me. Look at this. We always have the. Poor. You'll always have the poor with you, and whenever you want, you can do good for them. But you'll not always have me. Notice this. If Jesus was poor, how is it that someone could take a bottle of perfume that was worth a year's wages? I, I think it was J C. yesterday that gave us this stat that the median household income in America last year was $60,000. So, let's just say, for example, that somebody had a bottle of perfume that was worth $60,000, just to say something that you would understand in today's lang- language. A bottle of perfume that was worth $60,000 and they broke it open and just poured it all over you. And you thought to yourself, you know, as as Judas did in the other passage, why would we do that? You know, we could have sold that and gave gave the money to the poor. Notice, Judas was freaked out, not because he loved the poor, the Bible says, but because he wanted the money for himself, which shows you there was plenty of money to be had in that gift. Notice it didn't freak Jesus out. Oh, I I, I couldn't take that. Thank you. That's too much. That's too much. Like some people do. You try to bless some people. Oh, thank you, brother. I couldn't take that. Thank you. Oh, thank you for thinking of us, but I couldn't receive that. Oh, that's too much. That's too much. Thank you. But no, 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 that's too. We couldn't accept that. People have an issue receiving because they obviously have an issue giving because they go together. Giving and receiving go together. And there's people in this day and age that have an issue receiving, even though the Bible teaches that God will send men and women to bless you wherever you are. That's part of your covenant. He will send men and women to bless you. Luke 6 38. Give, and it shall be given unto you good measure pressed down, shaken together, running over, will he cause men to give into your bosom? So that that's just, it, when people show up to bless you, when people show up to bless you, receive the blessing as Jesus did. He didn't sit back and say, wow, that's too much. That's a year's wages. We couldn't say, no, no, it's too much. Don't pour that on me. Don't. No, it, could, it showed you that things like that had no, he had no issue with them. <clears throat> he had things Jesus had things. That's Mark chapter 14 verses 3 through 5, Karen. Jesus had things. He wasn't freaked out by things. Didn't freak him out that she was given such a large offering to anoint him and to prepare him. You know, poor people would be like, man, no, no, no. If you don't mind, could you just donate that to us and, you know, we'll be able to sell it and just keep going with the ministry. That's, I'd really appreciate it. It's not what Jesus did. It's not what Jesus did. Had nothing to say about that level of a gift. Let's just say it was $60,000 for you. You know, had nothing to say. Didn't freak him out. Didn't freak him out at all because he knew wealth and riches. Since he was young, he knew it. Let me give you another one. <clears throat> now, this is important. Number seven, this is a huge one because anybody that teaches that Jesus was poor. Is also teaching, he wasn't um, put off, Mary, by large gifts. He was not put off by large gifts. That's number six. Now, listen to this. Number seven, very, very important one. You've got to get this in your spirit. Jesus, if you teach Jesus was poor, you are teaching Jesus was cursed. That's what you're teaching. Because the Bible lists uh, poverty as a curse. In fact, if you study Deuteronomy 28, 63% of the curse of the law deals with their economic well-being, how they'll fare financially. Think about that. 63% of the curse, if you disobey me this day, You'll be cursed in the city, cursed in the field, cursed in your basket, cursed in your storehouse. Everything you set your hands to do will be cursed. You read Deuteronomy 28, 15 through the end of the chapter, and you understand that the curse of the law, part of it for disobedience was financial poverty. So listen to this. Number one, uh, Jesus would have been a tither. Actually, let let me go through that. Let me, let me go through that first, what I just said. We'll go with number seven. Jesus was not cursed. He was not disobedient. Let me go there. Deuteronomy 28. Listen to what it says. Listen to what it says. And if you fully obey the voice of the Lord your God, being careful to do all his commandments that I command you today, the Lord your God will set you high above the nations of the earth. And all these blessings shall come upon you and overtake you. Listen to this. If you obey the voice of the Lord your God, blessed shall you be in the city, and blessed shall you be in the field. Blessed shall be the fruit of your womb, and the fruit of your ground, and the fruit of your cattle, the increase of your herds, and the young of your flock. Blessed shall be your basket, your kneading bowl. Blessed shall you be when you come in, and blessed shall you be when you go out. The Lord will cause your enemies who rise against you to be defeated before you. They'll come out against you one way and flee before you seven ways. The Lord will command the blessing on you in your barns and in all that you undertake. And he'll bless you in the land that the Lord your God has given you. The Lord will establish you as a holy people. I want you to see verse 12. The Lord will open to you his good treasury. The heavens to give the rain to your land and season to bless all the work of your hands and you'll lend to many nations and you'll never borrow. He'll make you the head and not the tail. You'll go up and not down if you obey the... So, so listen to this. Number seven. If you teach... <laughs> if you teach Jesus was poor, what you're really teaching is that he was disobedient to the voice of his father. Because what God taught here in Deuteronomy through Moses was that blessing comes through obedience. If you'll hearken to the voice of the Lord your God, I'll bless you above all nations. You'll lend and you'll not borrow. Blessed in the city, blessed in the field. Listen to verse 15 of Deuteronomy 28. But you will, if you will not obey the voice of the Lord your God or be careful to do all his commands and statutes that I command you today, then all these curses will come on you and overtake you. Now you read verse 15 all the way to the end of the chapter, uh, verse 68, and you're going to find out that many of the curses have to do with their financial well-being. And the Bible says, if you will not obey the commands of the Lord your God, you'll be cursed in the city, cursed in the field. It ha- go, goes on describing the poverty and lack that'll hit their life for disobedience to the commands of God. So if you teach and believe that Jesus was poor, then what you're truly saying is that he was disobedient to the commands of his father in heaven, and that because of his disobedience to the law of Moses, he would have been poor and cursed. You catch that? The Bible plainly teaches it. You either have to believe what the Bible says, or you don't believe what the Bible says. But poverty was a curse of the law. And so Jesus, if he was poor, he was cursed. In fact, those of you that are watching, I want you to put it in the comments section. If Jesus was poor, he was cursed. Put it in the comments. If Jesus was poor, he was cursed. It's important that you put that in. Because if you don't understand this point right here, you're missing the whole thing. Because the curse is not something that comes as a blessing. I know that sounds simple, but people teach it like it is. No, God sometimes will put you through these things to get you to be more like him and get you to trust in him more. If Jesus was poor, he was cursed. If Jesus was poor, he was cursed. No question. If he was poor, he was disobedient. Yeah, yeah. If you've already written the first one, write it the second way too. If Jesus was poor, he was disobedient. I want you to write it that way also. Put it in the comments. If Jesus was poor, he was disobedient. Because we know, according to scripture, what brought that kind of a financial curse and lack and poverty on people. It's when they would not hearken to the voice of the Lord their God. They would not do it. And as I quote to you every day, Isaiah 48, 17, I am the Lord your God who teaches you to profit and leads you in the way you should go. So, what we're really saying, if we're saying Jesus was poor, was that he was disobedient and therefore cursed. The only reason he could have been poor is he was disobedient to the voice of the Lord his God. And he was not, never once. Because understand, disobedience to the word of God is a sin, it's a sin. And Jesus never sinned. There was never a day in his life where Jesus sinned. Never. He was not a sinner. He was not a sinner. And so Jesus was not poor, nor was he cursed, nor was he disobedient. He was blessed by the Lord his God. His Father in heaven poured out blessings upon him. And we're looking at it here in the passages we're reading today. And you see it very clearly. He could not have been poor, could not have been cursed, he could not have been disobedient. And notice those things all go hand in hand. Listen to this. Unless, now, listen, now listen to this, because this is I wrote this in my notes and I want you to have it in your notes as well. Unless God desires his children to live under a curse... Jesus could not have been permitted to live cursed before he became a curse on the cross. If Jesus lived under a curse before he became a curse, that would have been God's will for all of his children. Why do I say that? Because of Hebrews 1.3. The life of Jesus, great Christ himself, is the exact imprint of the nature of God. So if we... Think of it this way. This is a great way to explain it. Before any car company puts a car into... um, Yeah, I'll say it again, Brittany. If Jesus was cursed before he became the curse on the cross, then it shows us it would have been God's desire to curse his children. Because Jesus' life was the picture and the prototype and the example of what God wanted to do for all of his children. So whatever you see in the life of Christ is what God wanted to do in the life of all his children, all of his children, with the exception of the redemptive act of crucifixion, burial, death, resurrection, and ascension. We we go through those things in type with him. I'm crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live. You know, that's, that's how we go through that part. We don't have to be crucified, but everything else you see in the life of Jesus is the picture of what God wants for his children. He's the nature of God revealed. Here's a good way of saying it. Understand that when a car company is developing a new vehicle, they don't just start putting it onto the assembly line and building it in large quantities they start they start by building a prototype and the prototype vehicle has to run through all these tests they make sure that it goes through a safety test crash test you know they test the shocks they test the electronics they test the motor they test the 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 you know The steering. Grant Hardiman says that I'm a false teacher. Well, just log off. Not a false teacher. I'm preaching the scripture. Actually breaking it down scripture by scripture if you're humble enough to stay and listen. So the car company creates a prototype vehicle, passes through all the tests, and once it has passed all the tests, then it goes into mass production. Because they're not going to produce in mass production a vehicle that has all kinds of mistakes in it. They'd have to recall them all. If all the shocks were bad, if all the engines were bad, if all the electronics were bad because of a mistake in the prototype and the design, they don't put something in the mass production that has not been tested and gone through all the tests and tried. In the same way, Christ was the prototype for the sons of God. He was the only begotten son of God at the time he was sent. Now he's not the only begotten son of God. The Bible says in the gospel of John, to as many as believed on his name. I covered 2 Corinthians 8 9 already, Grant. You're late. You're late. He didn't become poor when he was born. He became poor on the cross. And so... Now there's many sons of God. The Bible says in John chapter 2, as many as believed on his name, to them he gave power to become the sons of God. So now every believer is a son of God, according to scripture. Every one of us are sons of God. And so Jesus was the prototype son, and he was the seed that produced the harvest of all of us. Christ, the incorruptible seed of the word. He became the seed so that we would be his harvest. He was the first fruits of the dead, but there would be many more resurrected from the dead. You understand? And so he was the one who proved it was possible and showed us the way so that it could be the truth in every one of our lives as well. So that's why I'm saying, unless God wanted to curse all of his children, which we know he does not want to curse all of his children, he wants to bless his children. Unless he wanted to curse all of his children, it would be impossible for Christ, who would have had to be disobedient to, his, to the voice of his Father, he would have had to be under a curse before he became the curse. And, listen to this, if he was cursed, he would have been unqualified to become a curse for us. Notice, he could not have gone to the cross a sinner. He had to live a sinless life so that he could be the propitiation for our sins, If Jesus was disobedient to the Father, sin had entered into his life. Think about that. Sin had entered into his life, making him unqualified to be the lamb that was slain. That's the key. And he could not have been a sinner before going to the cross. Impossible. Impossible. He was pure. He was the spotless lamb of God slain for the sins of the world. And so that means he could not have been cursed before he became a curse. And the Bible teaches poverty is a curse. There's no way around that. You can't read the Bible logically and understand that that's not what the Bible says in Deuteronomy 28. It lists a long chapter, a long chapter to let you know all of the curses that come upon people for disobedience and 63% of the curses deal with financial prosperity and financial lack. No way to get around it. Let me go on to the next one. Number eight. Number eight. Very important that you see this as well. Jesus, because he kept the law of Moses, everything, everything that the law of Moses taught, Jesus fulfilled it. So he was not breaking the law of Moses. He wasn't here to break the law of Moses, but to fulfill the law of Moses. And so anything that they were commanded to do as Jews, he would have been doing. He would have been doing the same. Go to Matthew 23, Matthew 23, 23. Listen to this. And this is where he's dealing with the Pharisees. And listen to what he says. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you tithe mint and dill and cumin and have neglected the weightier matters of the law justice and mercy and faithfulness. These you ought to have done. Talking about tithing. If you go to another translation, it said, yes, you should tithe. Without neglecting the others. You blind guides, straining out a gnat while swallowing a camel. So number one, for people that say, well, tithing is not in the New Testament. There's a place right there where Jesus talked about tithing and said, you should tithe. Told them, absolutely, you should tithe. And so Jesus, Matthew 23, 23, would have been a tither without question. He would have been a tither. Number two, Jesus would have been a giver of free will offerings in the temple. He would have been a giver, no question about it. Jesus was a tither and Jesus was a giver. So you have to uh, then be able to say, That, okay, we know that he obeyed the the law of Moses perfectly. He never violated the law of Moses in that way. Never sinned. Always kept the commandments of God. So if that's the case, then you either believe that he did obey the law of Moses or you believe that God's word doesn't work. Because if Jesus was a tither and a giver, you understand the Bible is, you know, it's the Bible itself. It's not the teaching of a man. It's the Bible itself. And it's the words of Jesus himself who said, give, and it shall be given unto you good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, will be put into your lap for what the measure you used, it will be measured back to you. Jesus taught on sowing and reaping. He's the one who taught that when you give, it will be multiplied and brought back to you by others. So you either believe Jesus was a tither and a giver and kept the law of Moses, or you believe that though he did his word doesn't work that sowing and reaping doesn't work that luke 638 should just be torn out of the bible if that's what you believe because it was jesus own words and he was a giver and he was a tither and so he would have been blessed by his own giving so to believe he was poor first of all if he was poor what did he have to tithe what did he have to give he was a giver <laughs> i mean understand that he even paid the temple tax So uh, explain to me, explain to me how he could have been a giver, a tither. Oh, my gosh. Here's a guy that just doesn't understand the Bible. It's all right, bro. Just log off if you don't get it. So here's a man who would have literally obeyed the law of Moses, obeyed the scriptures. And then the same scriptures that he said work. You have to explain how it didn't work for him. Somehow Jesus is saying that the word works for everyone else who obeys it, but it didn't work for him. Of course it worked for him. Of course he was the word made flesh and dwelt among us. And so understand this. He was a tither. He was a giver. He would have been blessed by the law of seed time and harvest without question. And he was. I've shown you from scripture how he was. Many people attached themselves to him and his disciples in the ministry and sowed from their means and they had an abundance and an overflow to the point that even Judas couldn't steal it all. Even Judas couldn't steal it all. And he embezzled often. And they had more than enough. More than enough. More than enough. Number 9 I'll give you number nine. Joseph... was a godly man. God would not have put Christ God would not have put Christ in the home of an ungodly man. Joseph was a godly man. Mary was a godly woman blessed above women. She was godly. Joseph was godly. Joseph obeying the law of Moses same thing. He would have also been a tither and a giver. He'd have been blessed. Now, we know that Jesus had other brothers. We know that he was not an only child. The Bible tells us he was not an only child. But because he was the oldest, because Mary did not have children before Jesus, because he was the oldest, if you study scripture, he would have been uh, guaranteed a double portion of his father's inheritance. You say, well, but Joseph was poor too, and Joseph didn't have an inheritance to give. Well, then how is it that a good, the Bible says a good man, a godly man, Proverbs 13, a godly man leaves an inheritance to his children's children, a good man. You'd have to argue that Joseph did not obey the scripture, did not tithe, did not give, and that the law of seed time and harvest was not working in his life, that God put Jesus into the home of an ungodly man who was disobedient to the law of Moses. I mean, if that's what you want to believe, you know, go for it. But that's not what the Bible teaches. God put Jesus into the home of a godly man and a godly woman who would have obeyed, who would have obeyed the word of God, the law of Moses, who would have been givers. Absolutely. Absolutely. And if they were godly people, then Proverbs would have been active in their life. A good man leaves an inheritance to his children's children. So not just what Jesus had attracted to him. Bags of gold at a young age from the Magi. All of the finances that came in through those that were connected with his ministry. Wealthy people. According to scripture, poverty is a curse, yes. You think it's a good thing? Here's the thing I never get about people like Belly Vuk, wherever they're from. You think it's a good thing when people are poor? You know, like that that cracks me up. If I said this yesterday. If poverty's such a good thing, then why are so many humanitarian groups, even Christian ones, trying to stop poverty? <laughs> if poverty's so good, if it's not a curse, if it's a blessing, then why are people trying to stop poverty? If it's so wonderful and so godly, then why are people trying to stop it? Here's another question because I, our, uh, our genius Grant Hardiman brought this up earlier. Well, there were poor, or poor uh, Christians they were taking offerings for. Well, if, if God wanted their poverty, if poverty is, uh, yes, that, and that's a, that's a curse. It's a curse. And so understand, very, very interesting to say, if poverty is a good thing, if poverty is a blessing, if poverty is something God uses for his glory, which it's not, why are people trying to stop poverty? There's poverty everywhere. People like to point out third world nations. There's poverty everywhere. Poverty everywhere. Everywhere there's poverty. See, and this is the same stupid argument that everyone makes. Well, then God blessed the Rockefellers and the Rothschilds. See, money in and of itself is not a sign of godliness. The Bible teaches that. See, people pick and choose from the Bible what they want to believe and what they want to read. That's not what the Bible teaches. The Bible does not teach that money alone is a sign of godliness. Look at the rich young ruler that came to Jesus. He said, if you want to be perfect, his money had a hold of him. Matthew 19, his money held him in bondage. And he said, because let me ask you a question. How many other people in the, script, in the scripture did Jesus tell, no, I don't serve money. You're just a fool belly and don't understand the Bible. A pure fool. And so how can you explain that Jesus only ever gave that command to one person in scripture, the rich young ruler? If you want to be perfect, sell all you have and come and follow me. Give give the money to the poor. Did Jesus say that to Peter? Because we know Peter had a home, had finances, had a business, had boats, had workers. Jesus had Peter follow him. Did Peter follow Jesus? Yes. Did he have to sell all that he had in order to do it? Absolutely not. Absolutely not. Peter Followed Jesus and never got rid of any of those things, because it's that's not the that's not the uh, command to follow Christ. It was the command for the rich young ruler because money had a hold of his life. So what did Jesus do? Jesus put his finger on the thing that was holding back the rich young ruler—a love of money. The love of money is the root of all uh, evil. It's not money that's the root of all evil. People misquote the Bible. Well, money's the root of all evil. The Bible doesn't say that. It says the love of money is the root of all evil. You can't love money because you'll either love money or you'll love God. You can't love both. But just because you have money as a believer, which you should, by the way, according to Scripture, doesn't make you an evil person and it doesn't make you a selfish believer. People don't even understand how am I supposed to even do the things scripture commands me to do if I'm a pauper, number one, or number two, if all all I ever have is my needs met. How could I ever bless the poor? Yes, belly, that's talking about people that aren't even saved or not followers of God, obviously. Start trying to think logically. Try to read scriptures in their context. It'll help you in life. So understand When you have money, you are able to be a blessing. How can you even do the things? How can you even do the things that the scripture commands you to do if you don't have the excess to do it? Doesn't make sense, does it? How could I ever bless the poor? How could I ever take care of widows and orphans? How could I ever feed the hungry? As we're doing around the world, every single day, hundreds of children everywhere. How could we do that if we didn't have enough? How could we do that? You know, one of the things that's important to to know is that if you have overflow, you have the ability to be a blessing, as God told Abraham. And by the way, we are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise, the Bible said, Galatians 3.29. So how could I, ever be a blessing to my generation if I don't even have enough to take care of myself. Not to mention did you know that the Bible says that a man who doesn't provide for his family financially is worse than an infidel. So living in a state of poverty without the ability to provide for your family makes you worse according to scripture than an infidel. If I don't have enough to tithe, you know, the Bible doesn't say that we're supposed to do it if we can afford it. We do it because it's obedience to God's word. Forget about, um, forget about just the basic stuff. You know, how can I even, and the Bible says that we should and should be constantly blessing the poor. Well, you can't do that as a pauper. It's funny. um, You know, if, if, if poverty is such a wonderful thing He makes me laugh that whoever that guy, apparently he's a preacher, who knows where he got his credentials. Quoted the scripture about giving the offering for the poor believers in the Macedonian church. Okay, if it was God's desire for them to be without, if poverty is such a great thing, then why did they take offerings for them to bless them? (laughs) No, that's not true. That's not true, Belly, because we provide for hundreds of poor people, far more than you do, far more than you do around the world. The Bible doesn't say that if you're wealthy, you have to become poor to bless everybody else around the earth. The Bible says that you should be a blessing. It has nothing to do. See, because this is what people never get, Matthew 25. How is it? Yes, they were poor. And what were they doing? People are like have zero ability to think. What were they doing? Making sure they'd stop being poor. How do you, what do you think that they were trying to do? Those that were blessed, as what we're talking about, what were they doing? Blessing those that were without. That's the point of being blessed, genius, is that you have excess to bless others. It's what we're teaching. It's why God wants you blessed. Unless you, I mean, obviously, unless you're one of those people that believe God sovereignly picks and chooses those whom he blesses, in that case, I've got nothing to say to you. If you just, you know, if you're like, I'm not, I'm not mad. If you believe that, you know, like if you're a, a reformed believer, Grant, you know, then in that case, I have nothing to say to you because obviously you don't know what you're talking about, which you don't. And it's easy to take scriptures out of context and try to use them to make an argument. But unfortunately, for those that actually do this uh, for the Lord faithfully, we have to actually treat the scripture properly and actually have to divide scripture with scripture. We can't cherry pick verses of scripture like Grant's doing to try to make a point. No, he goes beyond meeting the needs of his children, Grant. That's all through scripture, all through scripture. Sadly, I, I don't know how you're, a, if they said you're a minister, I don't know how you're a minister without understanding these basic truths. Feel bad for your church if you're a Pastor. But Jesus gives us excess in order to be a blessing. How could I even be a blessing without the excess to do so? You can't. You can't bless others unless you're blessed. How could they, you know, the the example he used, the exact same place he used. How could they be a blessing to the other churches? How could they do that without having excess? Doesn't make sense. Doesn't make sense. And and the Bible does teach seed, time, and harvest. And this is what I'm trying to show you today is that Christ could not have been, could not have been. You go through these 10 things, you would be heretical. You would be a heretic to preach Jesus was poor. And I just proved to you why. You'd be a heretic, an absolute heretic to preach that Jesus was cursed, that he was disobedient to his father's instructions, you're basically preaching that Jesus was a sinner because sin brings the curse. Christ was not cursed. Christ was blessed throughout his entire life, and Christ was the exact imprint and nature of his father's will upon the earth. In the same way, in the same way, Jesus was never sick. We have no, no record of Jesus ever being sick, yet he healed the sick. Um, oh, really, Grant? Son of man had no place to lay his head? Let me read you something from John chapter one. Because if you honestly think, and I dealt with this yesterday, if you're humble enough to go back and listen, I can't believe Grant just used that scripture as proof that Jesus was poor. I, I'm, I'm like astonished by that. Astonished by it. How, do you actually believe that Jesus had no place to lay his head? Or was he teaching about being fully committed to the call of God. <laughs> oh, man. Let me read something to, um, <laughs> to those of you that are watching, just to, help, just to help you understand the Bible. John chapter 1, verse 35. The next day, again, John was standing with his two disciples, and he looked in Jesus, at Jesus as he walked by and said, Behold, the Lamb of God. The two disciples heard him say this, and they followed Jesus. Jesus turned and saw them following and said, What are you seeking? And they said, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? Where are you staying? <laughs> he said, Come and see. And they came and saw where he was staying, and they stayed with him at one day for about, uh, that day for it was about the ninth hour. And uh, one of the two heard John speak, followed Jesus, Andrew, Simon's brother, Uh, And then it goes on to talk about the the, uh, disciples of Christ. So there's an actual place in the Bible where it teaches Jesus had a place to lay his head. You talk about taking scripture out of context. If people honestly believe Jesus had nowhere to lay his head, that's one of the most foolish things if that's how they read that scripture. He had a place to lay his head. He either had a place that he bought near Galilee, which some scholars believe he had a house near Galilee in Bethany, or at the very least, had the ability to rent or lease a home. But to say that Jesus had no place to lay his head, and that's what that scripture means in the Bible, just shows how much of a simpleton you are as a preacher. Not as a believer, because believers don't, aren't taught these things, but as, if you're a preacher, God holds you to a higher level of accountability. And so I would encourage Grant to stick around for more more broadcasts. And I'm not sure. I wish he would tell me where he went to Bible school or seminary so that I could send them a letter of rebuke. (laughs) But this is a perfect example, and Jackie makes a great point. This is why it's life or death where you go to church. Because if you go to a church where all that they'll ever preach to you is that Jesus is a savior and that they'll never tell you that he's a healer. They'll never tell you that he's a provider. They'll never, they'll never tell you that uh, they'll never tell you that he's a baptizer in the Holy spirit. They'll never tell you that he's a comforter. You know, that they are so one dimensional that they'll never teach you the deeper things of scripture, which Paul, by the way, Paul was irritated that the Corinthian church was in that place, that he could not teach them the deeper things of scripture. And that he had to keep going back to the, the, the basic teachings of repentance. And Paul was actually upset and said, I, can't, I still have to keep giving you milk because your baby's in Christ. Your baby's in Christ. Cannot we go to the deeper things? Can I teach you the deeper things? And so that's what happens. Some Christians end up going to churches and it's life or death where you go to church because what you know from the scripture, you'll know the truth and the truth will set you free or make you free. John 8, 32. If you don't know the truth, see, this is the issue. And I I dealt with this in the the recent course that we released um, on mountain moving faith. But if you don't understand that your faith is isolated by topic, If you want teaching, if you want to have manifestations of healing in your life, you've got to have teaching on healing. I can preach to you about salvation all day long. It doesn't build your faith for healing. I could preach to you all day long about healing. It won't build your faith for finances. Because faith is isolated by topic. You have to hear the word of God on a topic in order to build Faith in that area. The truth is God's word. God's word is the highest and only truth that there is. So your faith is isolated based upon what you know from God's word. And if you don't know it, it can't make you free. What does the Bible say in Hosea chapter four and verse six? My people are destroyed for what? A lack of knowledge. A lack of knowledge. And so that's the key. If you don't have knowledge in that area. If you don't have the ability to understand something from scripture, the Bible tells us in the parable of the sower, Satan can come at once and steal that revelation away from you. Did you ever think about that? The Bible says that if you don't have knowledge, it's it's in, in the when he's when Jesus is explaining the parable of the sower to the disciples, he said that one of those things is the the seed that fell on footpath. It's people that hear the word but don't understand what they heard. Don't understand what they heard. And the enemy comes immediately and takes it away. So having an understanding of the word of God and the doctrines of scripture is what helps you to walk in those truths. You'll know the truth and the truth will set you free. I do speak in tongues. Absolutely, Grant. I'm not a cessationist. Makes more sense now. (laughs) Grant, I'm sure this guy speaks in tongues too. Uh, I do speak in tongues. I speak in tongues all the time. Heavenly language. And I'm happy. I'm a Pentecostal and I'm unashamed. (laughs) I knew it. I knew Grant had some sort of issue somewhere. And we've located what it is. So understand this. It's important that you realize God wants you to be blessed. No question about it. All through the word, Old Testament and new. Old Testament and new. God wanted to bless his people. Always wants to bless his people. <laughs> I'm not even a prophet, Grant. I'm an evangelist. <laughs> he said false prophet. <laughs> I'm not even a prophet. I can't be a false one if I don't even claim to be a real one. To be be extremely accurate, you would have to say false evangelist. So please put that in the comments. False evangelist. Um, (laughs) There's my friend, Dr. Jeff. It's important to know that the truth you know makes you free. If you don't understand the truth of God's word, then you can't have faith in that area. And if you don't have faith in that area, you can't see the manifestation of that truth in your life. And God wants to bless you. God wants to take you to a higher place, and the way that he does it is giving you his word. His word carries power to perform, Isaiah 55 and verse 11. It never comes back empty. It always accomplishes what he sends it to do, so he gave us his written word. The written word can go forward and produce and actually carries performance power. Never fails. The word never fails. And then as you activate the power of God's word and your faith rises, then you can literally see the manifestations of Christ in your life. And your obedience to this word ensures the manifestations of Christ in your life. That's John 14, 21. And so it's important. (laughs) Patty, false evangelists teach on the blessing of poverty. Yeah, just please put it in the comments. Grant, false evangelists but it's just, it's just true when you teach on this and it just it just goes to show you anybody that's watching today watching the replay anybody that's listening on the podcast what you'll find is that you have an issue anytime you begin to speak about the truths of God's word you're going to have pushback with people that don't agree I mean, you know what's crazy? You can't even get people to agree about salvation in the body of Christ. You ever think about that? You can't even get people to agree on salvation, on whether or not you should give an altar call, you know, on whether or not you have anything to do with your salvation or if God has everything to do with it. Monergistic salvation versus synergistic salvation. Do we have anything to do with our salvation? Do we have to believe? Do we have to receive the gospel as truth? Or does God do it all? You can't even get people to agree um, on salvation. And you've got people debating all over the body of Christ, even on the subject as simple as salvation. You start to preach on healing and they come out of the woodwork. Here's one of them false preachers and preaching on healing and God wants to heal people. And then they get all mad about healing. You start preaching about prosperity and the blessing of the Lord. People come out of the woodwork and want to fight you on that. I've never understood why people have an issue believing God is good and that He loves His children and that He wants to bless His children and that He's a loving Heavenly Father who gives good gifts to those that ask Him. Matthew chapter seven. I've never, had enough, I've never been able to understand why people do not want to believe that they have a loving and a good Heavenly Father who gives good gifts to those that ask him. And Jesus plainly said that he does. Plainly said that he does. And I believe that. I I simply believe what Jesus said. I simply believe what the Bible teaches and that I don't have to read anything into it, that it's plain on the page. I can read the Bible for what it is and know that it's true. (laughs) Even when people try to shame me for speaking. I don't know. (laughs) I don't know. You know, people don't know who I am, you know, so, you know, Grant has no idea who I am, but to think that you could shame me (laughs) by, I bet this guy speaks in tongues, happily speaks in tongues all the time. (laughs) Like I'm a, I don't want anybody to know, you know, that I actually speak in tongues. (laughs) Uh, You know, I speak in tongues, but I just try to keep it in my prayer clause. I don't want anybody to know that I actually do it. I am so happy that I'm filled with the Holy Spirit with the evidence of speaking in tongues. And I pray that Grant gets filled with the Holy Ghost. Honestly, it's one of the greatest things you could ever have. Anybody that is not filled with the Holy Spirit is either unaware that they have that gift given to them or they're in direct disobedience to the commands of Christ and the apostles and the actual plan of the early church to not be filled with the Holy Spirit. I don't know if you've ever thought of that. I'm getting ready to release release our first Spirit-Filled Believer's Guide, and the subject is Speaking in Tongues. We'll answer these questions that are being asked and that many people ask um, in depth. But one of the things that's important to know is that God has a plan to bless you and wants to bless you, and that there are people that are actively rejecting the blessing of God. Think about how sad that is. There are people that are actively rejecting the Spirit of God and the blessings of God. Sad, man. When you know there's people that could be healed, could be blessed, could be filled with the Holy Ghost, could be comforted, no more depression, anxiety, no more suicidal thoughts. And they're actively, because of some doctrine that was preached into their spirit 30 years ago, and they somehow got roped into a certain belief system, actively rejecting the power of God. The Bible says that um, in the last days you'd have people like this that have a form of godliness like, like Grant but deny the power thereof. They've got a form of godliness. They, they'll, they're willing to stand up in a pulpit and preach a nice little message but they deny the power of God. And so one of the ways you can tell that people like uh, Grant deny the power of God, they deny the baptism of the Holy Spirit, which is the source of the power of God. Jesus taught that, by the way. You know, Jesus taught that. You shall receive power after the Holy Ghost has come upon you. So there's people that are rejecting the power of God. And what does the Bible say to do? he said in the last days you'll have those that have a form of godliness that deny the power thereof and then what does it say from such from these types of people turn away turn away so we turn away we don't i, I don't you know there's people that are truly seeking think about this there are the world is filled with people that are truly seeking help healing blessing salvation. There's people that are hungry. Our world is filled. Everywhere I travel, everywhere I preach, I come in contact with people that are hungry for the things of God. But of course, you'll also get people like Grant that are just full of pride and believe that, you know, everybody else that doesn't believe what they believe is, you know, a false evangelist. <laughs> but the Bible gives us instruction about that. It says turn away from people like that. Turn away from people like that. Let them do their own thing. And focus on those that are actually hungry for the things of God. Focus on those that are actually hungry for healing, salvation, the blessing. Yeah, absolutely. People sow into our ministry all the time, Grant. And I'd like to, I'd like to challenge you, Grant, on the broadcast today to sow a seed, a $1,000 seed into this ministry because I can tell you believe in us. I can tell you, can, you believe in what we're doing around the world. So I want to challenge Grant Celeste Hardiman. Grant Celeste. So you and your wife have a joint Facebook account. Which one of you cheated? Was it Grant or Celeste? Just wondering. Which one which one cheated on the other so that there's now a joint Facebook account? Um, but seriously, I want to encourage you, Grant, to sow a seed into this ministry. Because I can tell that you um Good. Grant tithes. Thank God. It's one thing I can tell that he does. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> We're getting a joint Facebook account from now on. <laughs> uh oh, here comes the name calling. <laughs> And so I want to encourage you, Grant, you or your wife, whichever one got the money in the divorce, to send a seed (laughs) to this. No, I'm just messing around with you. I'm sure you're doing fine. God bless you, Grant. Thanks for hanging with us today, man, because it helps. You know, you get the counterpoint, helps people to understand that not everybody believes like you believe. You know, there will be people that don't believe like you believe, and you'll come in contact with believers like that. And the Bible just says, listen, if people are completely uh, rejecting the power of God, the Bible says turn away. Don't have anything to do with them. That's what the Bible teaches. And so it's important to understand that you know what you believe. See, until you know, you can't do what Peter the apostle commanded us to do in 1 Peter chapter uh, 3 and verse 15. You cannot do what Peter commanded us to do to be able to give an answer. To those that have questions. If you don't know what you believe, and part of a part of that, part of that is in the face of somebody who disagrees, being able to know why you believe what you believe. That's why we do broadcasts like this. So that you don't just somebody can say, Well, I don't, you, you guys believe in that prosperity message. I don't understand. Well, you know why we believe in it. You understand why we believe what we believe. And so it's important to know from scripture why you believe what you believe. And I want to put the information up for Grant if he's still watching. Grant, we're going to encourage you. There it is. Grant, you can always sow a seed by hashtag donate in the comments section because I see you're on Facebook. You could always use Cash App, Grant. Venmo is available. PayPal is available. If you'd like to go to our website, miracleword.com, Grant, you could sow a seed there on the website. But here's what I really want to encourage you to do, Grant, is to partner with this ministry as we're touching people around the world every single day, not just with the gospel, we're blessing the poor, I want to encourage you to partner with our our ministry grant. And, um, you know, $100 a month, $200 a month, whatever you feel above and beyond the tithes that you're already giving, um, according to you. Just want to encourage you to, to sow a seed that's going to move your faith. That's going to move your faith and put you in a place of abundance. I believe God will bless you. I believe God will bless you. And then just keep coming back. Keep coming back to the broadcast grant. And you'll learn more every single day. And we'll be happy to have you here with us. I want everybody to bow your head. We're going to pray. The Lord will speak to you. Father, in Jesus' name, I pray for those that are watching. Lord, those that truly have a heart and a hunger for your word, to know your word. I pray, Lord, for those that have a desire to be a blessing to their generation. Not just a blessing to the kingdom, but to bless the poor, to bless those in need. I pray, Lord, in Jesus' name, for every person that has a desire to obey your word, to actually obey what you've commanded us to do in your, in your word, to bless our generation, those that are around us. We're blessed to be a blessing. Give us a spirit of generosity. Lord, I pray in Jesus' name that you would make us the largest givers to our churches. In Jesus' name. I pray, Lord, that anybody that wanted to rival us in giving would have to step up their game because we are the largest givers. Give us that supernatural spirit of generosity in Jesus' mighty name. I thank you, Lord, that 2020 is going to be our year of violent increase and expedited favor in Jesus' wonderful name. We thank you, Lord, that anything holding us back from increase is being moved out of the way by the power of God in Jesus' mighty name. And we thank you, Lord, that you're a God of more than enough. More than enough. We thank you that you're El Shaddai. We thank you that you're Jehovah Jireh. We thank you that you're the God who provides. And so, Lord, today we're asking you, speak a word to every one of us. Give us an instruction from your Holy Spirit. Give us an instruction by the power of God as to what we're called to sow today. And as we do sow our seed, we thank you that Harvest quickly coming back in the mighty name of Jesus. And we give you praise and we give you glory in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Jesus. So I want to encourage you, those of you that are watching, I know that happens, Cora, but it just happens. You know, you got people that, you know, there were people that came against Jesus, people that came up against the apostles, early church, you know, there's always going to be somebody that disagrees with you, but that's all right. I'm not bothered by it. I I understand there's people that don't agree with my viewpoint, but that's what the Bible teaches. Thank you, Luenda, for sowing a seed. Those of you that are watching, whether you're on YouTube, Periscope, Facebook, following Miss Luenda's wonderful example today, we love you, Luenda. Um, If you're in the comments section on Twitter periscope facebook you can use hashtag donate to sow your seed i'm still waiting on grant to sow his seed and then also if you want to use cash app that information's on the screen um venmo as well it paypal as well yep mary we got 10 number 10 number 10 was oh no we didn't you're right sorry about that let me give you that Number 10, we did not get. I was. (laughs) Blog party. I was explaining number nine. Let me give you number 10. Number 10. I sow so much, Grant, that if you knew how much money I gave away every year, you would pee your religious pants. (laughs) Um, No, I was explaining number nine. Number 10. Let me give you number 10. 10 is this. Jesus was not ever a fool. He was wise. And he increased in wisdom and in stature, the Bible says. And with wisdom comes riches. The Bible teaches that plainly. Let me read you Psalm 112. Listen to this. Psalm 112. Listen to what the Bible says. Praise the Lord. Blessed is the man who fears the Lord, who greatly delights in his commandments. His offspring will be the mighty in the land. The generation of the upright will be blessed. Wealth and riches are in his house and his righteousness endures forever. The highest level of wisdom you could ever have. No, that Tony, that him riding on a donkey has nothing to do with, with the fact that he could ride on a horse if he wanted to. It had nothing to do with that. In fact, if you study history, a king riding into a city on a horse was a sign of war. A king riding into a city on a donkey was a sign of peace, by the way, if you study that out. And so the highest level of wisdom is obedience to the word of God. But listen to what the Bible says. Go to Proverbs chapter nine. Listen to this. Proverbs chapter nine and verse 10 The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. The knowledge of the Holy One is insight. So Jesus in fearing the Lord uh, was the highest level of wisdom that you can have as a person. Complete obedience. Listen to Proverbs 19.8. Whoever gets sense loves his own soul and he who keeps understanding will discover good. So understand Jesus was at the highest level of that place. He was wise beyond level you understand and of course Joshua 1 8 what God spoke to Joshua he said don't let this book of the law ever depart from your mouth meditate on it day and night and you'll prosper in all you do and have good success so the word of God and obedience to the word of God brings prosperity and success amen (laughs) amen People are funny. Thank you. And thank you to everybody that's sewing. We appreciate you. We just sent out a bunch of these partner Bibles for those of you that are partnering with us. We just mailed out a whole box of these to people that are uh, sewing. These are for everybody that's sewing $1,000 or more. And I'm believing Grant will be one of those. We're going to send you this brand new, genuine leather uh, life application study Bible. New Living Translation. One of the greatest study tools. Phenomenal. We're going to send it to you and anybody that's sewing, And then of course, everybody that's sowing $100 or more in the month of April, we're sending you as our way of saying thank you, this awesome book by Dr. Mark Hitchcock, The End, complete overview of Bible prophecy, The End of Days, about 500 plus pages of answers to questions on Bible prophecy. And this man has written extensively on Bible prophecy and is a scholar, not only that, but also uh, teaches in seminary, as a pastor as well. He's a phenomenal teacher. It's one of the best books I've ever read. Phenomenal book on end times Bible prophecy. It'll bless you guys as well. So I want to say thank you to everybody that's standing with us. Man, we appreciate you. We love you so much. And um, any questions from anybody that has genuine questions on anything that we've taught about Christ, it's important to know Christ is the imprint of the nature of God, without question. He is the perfect, love you too, Chad. (laughs) Mary said, I don't think you'll see an offering from Grant. (laughs) Amen, Daphne. That's a great testimony. Praise God. I appreciate you sharing that. We've seen so many people in the last month that are sending in, um, sending in, um, I'm getting requests for I'm a Pentecostal. Let me get it ready for you. We'll end the day with I'm a Pentecostal. But we'll be getting so many different um, testimonies that have been coming in for people that are having financial increase hit their life and ministry. People getting raises, bonuses. I had people send me getting new uh, new jobs, better pay, better uh Benefits, bonuses, all that stuff. It's just happening for everybody. This is our year. This is our year of violent increase. Tammy, have you been in touch with Jenna? Please contact her. Jenna at miracleword.com. Jenna at miracleword.com. Love you, Brother Frank. Amen. Praise God, Letty. What a great testimony. Love you too, Cora. Thanks for hanging with us. I'm going to be back on, uh, by the way, just to give you guys an an update, I'm going to be back on uh, Faith Broadcasting Network on Friday. And so we're going to do another. um, Praise God, Jackie. Thank you, Lord. We're going to do another um, broadcast through Africa, the UK, the United States coming up this Friday on Faith Broadcasting Network. Um, It's going to be live at 12 noon Eastern time. Thank you, Brother Ben. Love you, buddy. Love you very much. Um, 12 noon this Friday from Marco Island, Faith Broadcasting Network, 50 million homes in Africa. 18 plus million homes in the UK, 14 plus million homes in the United States, and um, it's going to be great. So it's this coming Friday, 12 noon, uh, Carolyn and I will be live with Dr. Andre and Jenny, and um, it's going to be awesome. We're looking forward to that, and I'll be back with you. I think I'm going to join you guys at 9 o'clock p.m. on Friday night as well, and jump on, and then I've got some announcements for next week as, as well, which is going to be good. Let me pray quickly for Billion's mom just diagnosed with breast cancer. Father, in the name of Jesus, we take authority over cancer. In Jesus' name, we curse cancer. Every cancer cell commanded to shrivel and die. Lord, give her a clear and a clean report. In Jesus' name, and we'll give you all the glory and the praise for the healing and the miracle. In Jesus' name, we thank you. Amen. Dr. Jeff, Faith Broadcasting Network. Dr. Andre Raybert uh, runs that network. It's Faith it's Faith Africa, Faith UK, and Faith USA on television. But it's Faith Broadcasting Network. And um, you'll be able to watch it online, watch it on the app. If that network is airing cable stations where you are, you'll be able to see it there. They're on every major, uh, um, what, what, what am I looking for, the word here, uh they're in every um, market, major market in the U.S. except two, I believe now. So they're, they're in every major city. So they might be on the Boston network and I don't know if it'll reach to where you are, Dr. Jeff. But it's uh, noon this coming Friday. Of course, we'll share it on Facebook as well. Yeah, it's going to be 80 plus million homes in one day. So it's going to be wonderful. going to be absolutely great. I love you guys. You know how we like to end. We're going to hit it up. One of my favorite songs. I'm a Pentecostal. I love it Are y'all ready for it? Enjoy it I love you I'll talk to you very soon Share the broadcast with somebody And uh, I'll be back with you guys very soon Enjoy it
0: Oh yes Are you thankful for the Holy Ghost? I said are you thankful for the Holy Ghost? I gotta say this again tonight Oh I'm a Pentecostal I am unashamed Read the book of Acts we are still the same. Worship God the Father, lift up Jesus' name. We're Holy Ghost and fire in every way. I'm a Pentecostal, I am on the same. we the Book of Acts. We are still the same. We worship God the Father, lift up Jesus' name. We're Holy Ghost and fire in every way. I'm a Pentecostal. I am known ashamed Read the book of Acts. We are still the same. We worship God the Father. Lift up Jesus' name. We're holy, ghost, and fire in every way. We've been known to get wild. Let our hair hang Shoutin' hallelujah as His glory came down. It's just our style, the way we do our thing. Oh, we're the Pentecostals that rise in Jesus' name. I'm a Pentecostal, I am not ashamed. Read the Book of Acts, we are still the same. We worship God the Father, lift up Jesus' name. We're holy, ghost, in fire In every way I'm a Pentecostal I am on the same Read the book of Acts Come on We are still the same We worship God the Father Lift up Jesus' name We're holy, ghost, in fire Gotta say it again Come on, clap those hands Sound like camp meet again here In case you didn't hear me We've been known to get wild Let our hair hang down Drink till we get married Baptized in Jesus' name, I'm a Pentecostal. I am not ashamed. We don't put of life We are still the same. We worship God the Father. Lift up Jesus' name. We're holy, host and fire. Should God the Father into Jesus' name we're Holy Ghost and fire Some think we're crazy, others think we're strange. When I got this Holy Ghost, I could not contain more exciting than a party, higher than a drug. It's the greatest feeling, being washed in his blood. feel you're tired of tradition, religion's done you wrong. You're feeling tired and empty, no longer have a fall. The story's not over, things for you can change. Feel the fire burning as the spirit fans the flame. There's millions who have come, and millions on the way. At their churches for this Pentecostal day, there's a hunger in the world that gets stronger every day. They're crying out for Pentecost. That is my say. Was strange when I got this Holy Ghost, I could not contain more exciting than a party, higher than a drug. It's the greatest feeling being washed in His blood. If you're tired of tradition, religion's done you wrong. Feeling dry and empty, no longer have a song. The story's not over, things for you can change. Feel the fire burning as the spirit fans the flame. There's millions who have conquered, millions on the way. Living there, they churches for this Pentecostal faith. There's a hunger in the world that gets stronger every day. They're crying out for Pentecost, that is why we're